for uh, the next couple of messages, I want to talk about faith and hope and expectations. Faith and hope and our expectations around both those things. So here's what I want to do for the next couple of weeks. Here's kind of the big picture, and then we're going to dive in. Today, by the way, is just the introduction to a two- or three-part conversation. So when I'm done this morning, if you feel like, well, that didn't really, that wasn't a very complete thought, and there wasn't much uh, substance there, and I got more unanswered questions that you never addressed, that's because this is like the first chapter in the book. So this is the introduction to a multi-part conversation. So I'm not even going to try to cover everything and answer all the issues this morning. We're just getting started. So here's where we're going. I want to try to begin to unravel the mystery of this thing that we all experience. And you may experience this as a Christian. You may experience this even if you come from another religious uh, background where you have faith in God, uh, but you have, you have like b- belief in God, whatever that looks like for you. And in your mind, in your thinking, there is some cause and effect relationship between what you do and what God should do. Like if you grew up in a Christian home, you were probably taught, you know, ask God and God answers prayer. And you try to get him to say yes to your prayer. Maybe you were taught that if you have enough faith, you know, then God, you can get God to say yes. And if you, definitely if you watch way too much religious uh, television, you'll be convinced that if you just have like a whole bunch of faith, and if you'll just kind of like squint your eyes and maybe grunt a little bit, then you can, you can get God to do what you want him to do. That's like a lot of faith, right? And uh, you can get God to do stuff. And then you hear people tell these amazing stories uh, like, you know, I lost my job on Monday and then I fasted and prayed all day Tuesday and on Wednesday my boss called and gave me my job back, you know, and you're like, wow, or, or, or you hear like, well, he broke up with me and it was ugly, but he came back and he apologized and I forgave him and now we've been happily married for decades. And you hear these stories and, and yeah, prayer can be part of the equation, so I'm not dismissing that, and faith is part of the equation, but sometimes you're like, that never seems to quite work out for me. And then if you're honest, when you poke around some, like behind some of the stories that we hear, we usually find out that things didn't work out exactly like we're being told anyway. So we're going to talk about what is that? Like, how does that work? How does faith impact God? What's the difference between hoping for something and being able to say, God, I'm trusting you with this? And if you've been around um, a lot of Christians, you've heard things like, well, we're just trusting God for that. And, and I, I'm like, what does that mean to you? Like, what does that mean to you? Like, like sorry if you're one of those people that says that. Like, but I'm like, how, how is God going to do that for you? And what exactly do you expect him to do? And what is your responsibility in it? And what are you trusting God with? I don't understand, so could explain this. But then you meet people who have this, like, this incredible faith, and like, you just sense that, and you're like, I'd like to be a little bit more like that. So there's a whole range of of kind of emotion and emotional response to these kinds of things. So we're going to spend some time looking about at this whole issue of faith and why it's so important and whether or not you're a Christian, whether you're from a Christian background or tradition, maybe some other background, or maybe you just, maybe you live kind of with an a la carte philosophy of life and you like to read ancient and modern day philosophers and draw your worldview from that and combined with a little bit of, I don't know, YouTubers and cable television and there you got your worldview. I don't know. But whatever it comes from, if I were to sit down with you and said, how do you think the world works? You would have an answer for that. In fact, in any of those kinds of scenarios, your answer would start like, well, I believe, well, there's faith. Well, I've always thought, well, there's, there's your faith component. Well, I've always kind of assumed that's faith. 
So in your way of thinking, you're assuming some things. You're assuming some cause and effect relationships between what you do and the way that you think and the way that you behave and the way that you conduct yourself and the way that you, I don't know, exercise and the way you eat and the way you work and the way you meditate or whatever. You assume some cause and effect relationship between the way that you approach life and what you believe should happen as a result for your benefit. So you have an element of faith in your life. But have you ever really thought through, how does this really work? Like, where did this come from? Why are there these inconsistencies? Why are these different experiences with different people? What can I really hope for? So I'm going to take the next couple of weeks and, and take this thing apart a little bit. And obviously, you know, we're in a Christian church, and so we're going to look at it through the lens of the Christian faith and Scripture and the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the apostles. And, but regardless of your background... I think this will give you some helpful things to think about as you kind of uh, unpack your own worldview or philosophy of life. As we're going to discover today, there is something about the Christian faith that makes Christianity different from all the other religions and all other philosophies and modern day philosophies that are kind of stylish and exciting. There's a component to Christianity that some of the others are missing, and some of us think that's what makes this a more valid way to approach life and to approach the world around us and to approach faith in general, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so let me just kind of back up. Today, I want to talk specifically about what you lean your faith against, okay? Like what you prop your faith up on, or another way of thinking of it is what is the foundation of your faith? Like what is the foundation of your belief system? And I think this could, should connect with all of us, especially if you're one who likes to dig below the surface. And like, even if you don't usually think in these terms, but the truth is like every single day you make decisions based on a belief system and something, and you may not even know what it is. And maybe today you'll discover what it is, but something is propping up your current belief system about how the world works. Something's propping up your current belief system about how God works or how God doesn't work or why he does or why he doesn't. So I want to talk about that foundation. The thing that would probably make this a more intriguing uh, conversation is not to talk so much about what the foundation is, but maybe to start off talking about what the foundation has been or maybe was in the past. So I want to talk about maybe uh, for those of you who have lost faith, at some point in your story, you found yourself in a place where you'd lost faith. Maybe you had abandoned your faith like on purpose, you walked away. Or maybe even right now you're leaning that way and you're considering walking away from this thing. Or maybe you've been there and you're back. But I think a discussion about losing faith and abandoning our faith is really, uh, I think, a discussion that helps us understand how important it is and why it's important to have the right thing to lean our faith against to begin with. Because if you're a person who's lost faith or you abandon your faith or maybe you're here and you're in, you feel like you're in the process of losing it and you feel like your world's kind of coming apart and you don't know what to say and you don't know how to pray and you don't know what you can expect from God. You're not even sure that there is a God some days or if there is, you're not sure you like him. He definitely doesn't like you. Like, and then what's happened is whatever you've been leaning your faith against has moved. And so consequently, when the foundation or the thing that we lean our faith against moves, our faith begins to kind of crack and crash. And perhaps... Somewhere in your story, maybe even recently, your faith has cracked or crashed, or maybe it's crashing. So I want to talk about why that happens, because in discovering why that happens, we're going to discover why it's important to have the right foundation for our faith. So here's my observation. When I've talked with people 
who have lost their faith. They've either, that's part of their story in the past. Maybe they returned. Maybe they walked away. Maybe they drifted away. Maybe they found themselves in a, like, surprised themselves that, oh, I don't, this faith is not a thing for me anymore. Uh, I just don't know what to believe or whatever. Generally, it's because of one of two things. I'm just going to, these are broad categories. It's about lifestyle decisions or unexplainable circumstances. Lifestyle decisions and unexplainable circumstances. Lifestyle decisions and unexplainable circumstances do more to erode our faith and chip away what was probably an insecure foundation to begin with than anything else. So let me just kind of try to illustrate it this way. Here's what I'm talking about. Perhaps you were raised in a home. Maybe it was a Christian home or some kind of religious home, or at least it was a home with some values and morals where you were taught that cheating and being dishonest was a bad thing. So you grew up as a child believing that cheating and being dishonest uh, was a bad thing. And even though maybe you cheated occasionally, and maybe even though you were dishonest every once in a while, you still believed it was a bad thing. It was part of your belief system. And that was fine when you were in middle school, and it was even okay in high school, and maybe it even survived through college. But then you got a job, and then you became a part of an environment where cheating and being dishonest was like a core business practice. It wasn't super overt, but the longer you were there in that environment, the more you realize that being a little bit dishonest and not disclosing everything is just the way business was done in that setting. So now you had this dilemma on the inside because you were raised to believe that cheating and dishonesty is wrong, but you looked around your workplace and strangely enough, it didn't seem to be bothering anybody else. So now you have a real choice to make. You You have three choices. I can either work here and feel guilty all the time. I can quit my job, and that's not really a good option. Or maybe what I've always believed isn't true. Maybe in an environment like this, being a little dishonest and cheating a little bit isn't really that bad. Maybe I'm just being too hardline and too hard on myself. Maybe I'm being too idealistic. Um, maybe my conscience is a little too hard, hardwired on this thing. So over time, because of a lifestyle decision, we begin to change what we believe, not because of great research or study or soul-searching or counsel. We begin to change what we believe because we're changing the way we behave. Like, I've decided to stay in this company, and I've decided to be a part of this environment and this system, and I don't, just don't want to feel guilty about it all the time. So I've decided, just like everybody else around me, in this environment, what we're doing isn't really that bad. It isn't that wrong in this context. And then you find that your belief system, your faith in something, has shifted because of a lifestyle decision. What slowly happens is we change the way we believe, or we change the way we behave, and then we change the way we believe. As if to say, like, what we used to believe was wrong, but we don't necessarily quit believing because we realized that what we were believing was wrong. We quit believing because we behaved ourselves into that position. We behaved in a different way. And now our new behavior has impacted what we believe. I think there are all kinds of examples of that. You can probably think of some of your own, but we're just going to leave that at that. Then the other thing that chips away at our faith is not only, like, lifestyle decisions, but unexplainable circumstances. And this is a big one. And here's what I mean by that. Perhaps you were raised to believe that God would never, and you fill in the blank, or God always, except when you believe that God would never, then you find out that maybe it seems like God did that anyway. Or if you believe that God would always, and then it feels like God doesn't for you. 
And you were raised to believe maybe that if you did A, B, and C, then you could expect God to do X, Y, and Z. So you have done A, B, and C consistently, and God hasn't done X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden, there's a life circumstance that doesn't line up with your thinking about God, and your faith starts to crack, and you look around for God to show up on your behalf, and you pray for God to do this thing that's important to you. You've been looking and looking like for a job, or you've been, you fasted and prayed, and you've done all the things that people have told you to do, and like maybe some, maybe you're back in church trying to get in good with God because you're not sure how God works, you know, but you're thinking maybe church is part of it, but you don't even really like church, but you're here hoping that God will pay attention and notice that you're here, and God's like, you know, like God's up there somehow like, look, he's here, he's got three stars in his chart, excellent, good for him, let's answer that prayer now, because um, we sometimes just don't know how it works, and we're trying some stuff, but maybe you're thinking that somehow I've got to win God's favor to get on good, God's good side, because this thing that I need, whether it's a job or it's a health thing or it's a financial thing or whatever the thing is, we begin to lose faith when God doesn't act the way we think God should act. Most people, probably people in this, most people in this room, know someone, or maybe you are someone, who says, you know what, my faith took a big hit. My faith, I mean, when I, when I expected or trusted God to do something, because that's what I was told God was like, and God didn't do it, and I didn't know what to believe. So these two things will erode our faith more than anything else, lifestyle decisions that eventually impact what we believe, and unexplainable circumstances where God doesn't seem to do what we think God ought to do. And here's what both of those um, scenarios have in common. I'm just going to call it circumstantial faith. It's circumstantial faith. Here's what I mean by that. Yeah, I'm trusting God. I'm believing in God. I'm believing or trusting in God based on my ability to find God in my circumstances. Like you always thought that God would protect you, keep you safe, keep you healthy, take care of the people you love, make sure you succeed, whatever, you know, if you did certain things. And now it seems like God isn't protecting you. You look around, you have loved ones who are really sick. You look at your circumstances, doesn't look like success. And you're not sure what to believe about God anymore. Why? Because it's circumstantial faith. And to some, to some extent, all of us have an element of circumstantial faith. Um, that is like our beliefs about God and our faith about God, whether it's weak or strong, is impacted by what we see, by what we experience, by what the people around us say and do. But that's circumstantial. There's a sense in which our faith in God, or maybe your faith in a philosophy, or your faith in a modern-day writer, or your faith in a religious tradition, it hinges on and it leans against your experience. That's why I'm calling it circumstantial. The problem is, Circumstantial faith is always very, very fragile. Because, like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but life is not consistent. Life is not predictable. There is a, there's this randomness to life, and it seems like, seems like there's a randomness to God. And every time you think you've figured out, like, the formula, you know, it's like, okay, I think I figured it out. Two prayers, read my Bible, go to church. Two prayers, read my Bible, go to church, repeat, you know, and so on. But I got the formula whatever that formula looks like for you. And every time we think we've got it figured out and something doesn't work out, we look around at our circumstances and we're like, what's wrong with God? Or maybe what's wrong with me? And that's circumstantial faith and it's very fragile. And the reason it's fragile, I'll just give you a couple of reasons and you've probably already figured this one out. One reason is that we're not very good at interpreting events anyway. Like we're just not good at that. The problem with circumstantial faith is that I look at into the vicinity of, I don't know, this week, this month, and I go like, why didn't this happen? 
And why didn't God? And why did God? And I'm interpreting circumstances to say that since this didn't happen, since this job thing didn't work out, since he never called me back, since God doesn't seem to love me, maybe he doesn't even know what's going on, but we're bad at interpreting circumstances. Like, here's like, at various times when my kids were growing up, if you just randomly dropped into my interactions with my kids and you said, does your daddy love you? You might hear things like, no, he doesn't love me. He's making me go to the dentist. And as an adult, you're like, well, actually, that is evidence that he does love you. But if you ask my kids or if you ask me as a kid, I'm like, that's not. No, that's evidence that he hates me, right? I didn't enjoy it last time. It's going to be uncomfortable or maybe painful this time. Why would someone who loves me take me back to a place where I know I'm going to experience pain? No, he doesn't love me. The thing is, like we know from personal experience, that at times in our lives, we've been very bad at interpreting circumstances. The other thing that makes circumstantial faith so fragile is that our time frame isn't long enough. Our time frame isn't long enough. Like if something happens on a Monday, and you pray on Tuesday, if we're being really gracious, we'll give God Wednesday to sort it out, but by sunrise on Thursday, we hope to have it, the, the answer, right? Like... Or maybe if we're feeling really gracious, I'll give you to the weekend, God. But this really needs to happen, you know. Um, our time frame is so short. And when we evaluate God's faithfulness, when we evaluate God's presence, and when we evaluate God's response to our prayers in a time frame that is short enough to suit us, but not enough to suit Him, we often conclude something's wrong with God. It's like I pulled the lever and things aren't lining up and I thought I knew how to do this. I thought I... I thought I had the formula. I thought God was in control anyway, and God always, and I thought God would never. One of the most fascinating stories in the Bible, uh, it's one of the longest stories about any one person in the Bible. It's the story of Joseph, and uh, I've probably taught on the story of Joseph in Genesis more than any other Old Testament character, but Joseph was the key to getting the nation of Israel into their next chapter to the point of critical mass because when Joseph was alive, uh, there was no nation of Israel. There was just Joseph's father, Jacob and Joseph's 11 brothers and their families, that was the nation of Israel. So in order for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to make him into a great nation, a nation through which the whole world would be blessed, in order for that to happen, Joseph and his brothers had to survive this coming famine. And in order for that to happen, someone needed to rise to a position of influence in Egypt in order to manage the whole food conservation project throughout the famine. And of course, over, that happened, and then over the generations, Joseph's family multiplied, and about 400 years later, they indeed became a nation, but now they were a slave nation. And we all know the story of Moses and Pharaoh and the truck through the wilderness to the promised land and all that. But in order for all that to happen, God used these horrendous circumstances to get Joseph to Egypt. And for a period of 13 years in Egypt, God didn't seem to do anything for Joseph. Do you catch that? 13 years. And Joseph remained faithful. And as you read the story, kind of maybe as, as an outsider and after the fact, it's, it's, to us it's evident, it's evident that God was up to something, that God was redeeming some pretty horrible circumstances. But when you're with Joseph in real time and you're in the story and there's no evidence that God is even aware of what's going on, like time after time after time, Joseph continued to believe God, not based on his circumstances, that is for sure, but based on something entirely different that we're going to talk about in just a minute. So for 13 years, he's faithful to God, even though God didn't seem to be faithful to him. When you read the story and you're like, look at what God did. But, but, but what if at any point in the story, Joseph had said, you know what? Clearly this ain't working. Like, 
clearly there is no God. Or if there is, he certainly doesn't love me. He's not paying attention to what's going on in my life. But fortunately, Joseph understood that the time frame of God is oftentimes not the one that lines up with, with our time frame. So what makes circumstantial faith so fragile? First of all, we don't interpret events very well. We don't know what God is up to half the time. And then secondly, our time frame is short. And the other thing, and this one maybe you can relate to, maybe not. But the, other, the third one is that we don't often interpret the voice of God very well. Now, to some of you, that's just going to sound crazy. Um, but if you were raised in church, you're familiar with this whole idea. Every once in a while, like you run into somebody who hears from God, right? Maybe you're one of those somebodies. God told me to. God showed me that I need to. God led me out of. And I listen to people, and sometimes I think, like, I wish God would speak to me that clearly, uh, but that's also a lot of accountability, so I'm not sure if I want that. But here's what I'm talking about. I'm not, because I'm not doubting that God speaks to people. I'm not saying that at all. But the problem is, when you are sure that God has spoken to you, then God doesn't seem to do what God has seemed to promise to do. <laughs> the tendency then is like, well, I don't know if I trust God anymore. Well, maybe, maybe you misunderstood God in the first place. Alethea, my wife of 33 years, un- misunderstands me sometimes, which is hard to believe seeing that I'm such a clear communicator, but um, I misunderstand her sometimes. I misunderstand my friends and my kids, and they misunderstand me. And if we have, and you can identify with that, If we have that kind of thing going on with human beings that we can see and hear and interact with, is it possible that maybe we misunderstand God sometimes? I think the answer is absolutely yes. But if your faith is leaning upon your ability to always hear from God and always get it right, that's fragile faith. That's circumstantial faith. So let me, let me back up and qualify this, and we're going to look at, we are going to look at a couple of verses, so hang in there. Uh, remember, we're just kind of laying the groundwork for an ongoing conversation for the next two or three weeks. For many of us, it's true that God will oftentimes use an event or a set of circumstances to launch our faith. And it sounds like, it sounds like um, I'm contradicting myself, but, so follow me carefully. Sometimes God, or oftentimes God will use an event or a set of circumstances to launch our faith. Like, like you're going along, maybe you're not really that interested in God, uh, maybe you're like, at least not on a very personal level, and you, I mean, you're doing all right, and you're busy, you're extremely busy, no one's ever been this busy, and someone invites you, I don't know, to a small group or to a Sunday morning thing, the church, and they promise you lunch afterwards, and you're not really that interested, and then, you know, it starts up, and the music starts, and, and the place is hopping with kids and teenagers, and there's a message that you could actually understand, kind of, and all of a sudden, you're kind of overwhelmed with this emotion, and you didn't know where that came from, and you look back in that moment, and you're just like, I just felt God met me there. Or maybe you're going through a real tough time and one night you get on your knees beside your bed and you can't even remember the last time you did that, if ever, and and you start calling out to God like out loud and you said something like, God, I don't even really know like how to do this. I don't know if you're there, but if you are, I really need you right now. And in that moment, something happened and you look back in that moment and you're like, that's when it started for me. That's when God became real to me. That launched my faith. That thing, that moment in time, that God moment was the thing that was the catalyst for my faith. And I've heard some of your stories, and some of you have stories where clearly it was an event that was the catalyst that, be, that launched your faith. But here's my point. God often uses moments to launch our faith, but those moments were never designed to be the foundation of our faith. Like, they can launch our faith, but they were never designed to be the foundation of our faith. Because here's the thing about moments. Moments come and go. Sometimes God miraculously answers prayers 
And sometimes he seems to be silent. And sometimes he works within our short time frame. And sometimes it seems like he ignores our time frame altogether. Like we're looking at a watch and he's looking at a calendar, right? So if our faith is simply circumstantial, it's fragile, and eventually it will fail. And here's why. Because the sorrows of life, the tragedies of life, will eventually cause there to be so many random experiences in your life that don't make sense. You'll no longer feel like you can put your confidence in or trust God. At the same time, on the other hand, the pleasures of life will cause almost every single element of your belief system to become inconvenient at some point. Like the pleasures of life can eventually cause your belief system to become inconvenient. And in order to continue believing, you might have to give up some pleasure. The end of the day, if your faith is purely circumstantial, we opt for pleasure most of the time. And then we'll adjust our belief system to match our lifestyle, which isn't necessarily a problem until you come to a place in your life where you really, really, really need something substantial to lean on. And if all you have is circumstantial faith, faith that's based on what I can see around me, what I experience around me, what I can understand around me, what I expect God to do, eventually that will not hold up. So here's one of the reasons I love being a follower of Jesus. Because the more that I read and the more that I explore, the more I do life with people and talk with people, the more my faith is affirmed and built up. Because unlike things like modern philosophy and unlike like all the other world religions, the foundation of Christianity is not an experience. The foundation of Christianity is not my ability to make the world make sense. The foundation of Christianity is not even an experience with God. It's not an answered prayer. It's none of those things that, um, I don't know, that are often the catalyst for the beginning of our faith. The foundation, the thing we lean on in Christianity, the thing we lean on as followers of Jesus is so different from any other thing. It's the thing that makes Christianity stand out. It's the reason that maybe some of you came back to church for the first time in a long time because you spent a season of your life trying to prop your faith up and prop your belief system up and prop your worldview up on something that worked for a while, but you're like insightful enough to know that you just kind of kept adapting your belief system to follow your behavior and at some point in your life you looked at the sky and you're like I don't believe anything and maybe you're back because you realize there's more to it than that so anyway that's my introduction I'm only going to look at one verse today and uh, maybe a couple so if you have your bible with you why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 if you have your bible or your bible app Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews is near the back of the Bible. It's only got 13 chapters, so it's uh, kind of hard, hard to find. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were Jewish. So they were Jews by birth and by religious tradition, but they had recently converted to Christianity. And at this, like, they weren't even calling it Christianity then. This is how new this was. And at this point, they had no, as they looked around, they had no good, good reason to continue following Jesus. They had no uh, good reason to, to, to follow this all the way through because life was pretty bad for them. They lost their jobs. They lost their place in society. Their communities had cut them off, all because they converted, converted to this new faith that was known as the way. We know it as Christianity. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to these Jewish Christians, and he's pleading with them, don't give up your faith. Like, don't abandon Jesus just because of your circumstances. Don't make the mistake of propping up your faith in what you can see and your ability to understand what you can see. And in this verse, he gives us the foundation of our faith, and this is what sets Christianity apart from everything else, and this is the only place, the only place to prop up our worldview, to prop up our belief system. This is the foundation of faith. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. He says, therefore, so he's reviewing everything that he said so far, therefore, 
since we have a great high priest, so, so let's just stop for a second, because the priest was the person who represented people to God and God to the people in this tradition. The New Testament teaches that Jesus is the high priest. He is our high priest, and it's through him that we have access to God. So he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. He was saying to them, like, I know it's tough. Like, I know life is not great right now. Things aren't working out the way you had hoped. I know Jesus hasn't come back yet, and you thought he'd be back already. I know you're having a hard time being a Christian in a really hostile culture. I don't know if you can identify with any of this. I know that it doesn't seem like God's answering your prayers. I know things are tough, but don't quit believing. Why? Well, well, not because of what you see around you. That's for sure. Like, don't quit believing because listen to what we have. We have a person who showed up who walked this earth as one of us, who was seen, who was touched, who loved and was loved, who spoke, who performed miracles, who died on a cross, who rose from the dead. He was seen by over 500 people and he claims to be the one who represents us to God. Like that's who we have. And since we right now currently have that, that's why we don't give up on what we believe. In other words, the writer is saying the foundation of our faith is a person. The foundation of our faith is not an experience. The foundation of our faith is not an answer to prayer. The foundation of our faith is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we believe when things are good and the reason we believe when things are bad is not because things are good and certainly not because things are bad. Not because we can always make sense out of life. Not because we can answer every question. The reason we believe, and here's the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other belief system and pop psychology and trendy religions of the world, is we have a Savior who is our great high priest, who represents us to God, Jesus. The foundation of our faith is not what we can see and not what we can experience. It's why every once in a while you meet somebody and you wonder when you hear their story, how can you continue to believe when this happened to you? How can you continue to believe when that didn't work out? How can you continue to believe in your circumstances? Because you're looking at their circumstances and you're thinking like, how can you continue to have that kind of faith? And I think, and their response is kind of like, well, it's actually fairly simple because I don't have circumstantial faith. The foundation of my faith is a person. See, I'm like you, I like all the stories about the quick answers to prayer. Those are my favorite. You know, I lost my job on Monday, went home, fasted on Tuesday, Wednesday. Not only did, give me, did my boss give me my job back, he actually gave me the company, so it all worked out. I'm like, oh, well, isn't that great for you, right? Or my son left home, and we didn't know where he was, and I went to church to pray, and everybody was praying. We had prayer chains going all over, and if you're not a church person, you don't know what a prayer chain is. Ask the churchiest person you know, they'll explain it to you. Then we just, like, stormed the gates of heaven with all my prayer warriors, and a few days later, like, my son showed up in church, and he came home, and things are good. Well, that's crazy. I love those stories. The doctors told me there was really nothing they could do for me. They'd do the surgery, but they didn't think it would do much good, and they didn't give me much hope. So, but we went through with it, and we went to the hospital, and they did one more x-ray, and they couldn't even find the thing. It was gone, and it was like a miracle, and that was like 11 years ago, and I've been healthy ever since. Well, isn't, praise God, that's good for you, right? That, that's, uh, if that's, if that's me, that's how I want God to do it. That would be great, and I believe that. Like, that's awesome. But can you see that if we're leaning on that, that's circumstantial faith? Like, what makes us have to sit down and take a breath? And the people that just cause me to, like, stand, like, in awe of their presence are not necessarily the people that have those stories. I celebrate it. 
Like it's not necessarily the people whose husbands and wives and children get healed. For me, it's the people that you stand with in the ICU or worse at a graveside and God didn't answer the prayer like they'd hoped. And they lost the battle with the disease or they never recovered from that accident. And they stand there and they're like, you know what? God is still God and he is still good and he is still faithful and I still trust him. Like, why wouldn't I? And all the circumstantial faith people are like, because look at what happened and you're like actual current reality. But it's like, yeah, but my faith doesn't rest on my ability to interpret my circumstances. My faith doesn't rest on my time frame. My faith doesn't rest on what I think God has or hasn't promised me. The thing I lean on isn't me and my circumstances or my experience. My faith rests in a person, a person who came to this world, lived among us as one of us, died for my sin, was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven to be my great high priest so that I could have a relationship with God. That's where I find my hope. That's where I'm able to continue to be faithful. That's why I continue to walk and worship and surrender. That is the foundation of my faith. So listen, right, right now in this moment, your faith is resting against something. Like your confidence, your faith is resting up against something. And we need to know what that is. So here's my warning to you. If it is circumstantial, it will eventually fail you and you will have to adjust your belief system to match your reality. But here's, here's the amazing thing. Here's how much God loves us. God doesn't ask us to love him based on our ability to figure him out. I'm just going to repeat that. God doesn't ask you to love him based on your ability to figure him out. He hasn't asked you to place your confidence in him based on your ability to find him within the circumstances of your life. God has said, no, no, I've done something far more significant than that. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust me, yes, with the details of your life and your ethics and your morality and your relationships and your family and your finances and your work and your time and your health. And I'm asking you to trust me not because our time frames line up, but because 2,000 years ago I sent my son into history, into the story of humanity, to walk as you walk, to face the same temptations and trials that you face. And I love you. And I sent my son who died for you. And I trust you to trust, I, I just want you to trust me. And I want you to lean and prop your faith up against something that I did on your behalf in the person of my son, Jesus. That's the foundation of faith. That's the foundation of of Christianity, and if it isn't, eventually the pleasures of life and the pressures of life are going to erode whatever it is we believe in right now. Later in the same uh, book, in the book of Hebrews, the writer makes a statement, and I'll close with this. In Hebrews 12, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's the foundation. Scorning at shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the foundation. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the foundation of our faith is not an event in our lifetime. The foundation of our faith even, isn't even our experience with God's faithfulness. The foundation of our faith is a person, the Lord Jesus. And with that foundation, in the next couple of sermons, we're going to build a case for what it means to trust God and to walk by faith and what we can trust Him for and what He's promised and what we can depend on. This morning, I want to give you a chance to have a moment where you can enter into this relationship with our Heavenly Father, to know what it is to lean your faith into the person of Jesus Christ, to experience His grace and forgiveness and purpose and joy and peace. Maybe you've been coming here for a while 
you find yourself starting to understand some things you never really understood or thought about before, and you're beginning to realize it's not about what I do, it's what Jesus has done for me. So today I want to just lead you in a moment, if you find yourself ready to embrace this truth that God came to be with us, and maybe begin to experience this rich and meaningful life that Jesus promised us. If that's where you find yourself this morning, ready to place all your faith in the God who pursues us, the God who came to earth as one of us, to place all your trust in Christ's death on the cross as a payment for your sin, I want to lead you in a prayer, and this prayer is just a way to, to express that decision to put your faith in Christ. So I want to lead you in a prayer right now. So let's bow our heads. And while we pray, uh, some magic's going to happen, and uh, some... Uh, People are going to come to the stage. When you open your eyes, the band and the singer is going to be on the stage. It happens almost every Sunday. It's a magical thing. It's a mystery how this happens. (laughs) I just wanted to give them a second to get to the stage. That's what I'm doing. I want to lead you in a prayer. You can pray this silently where, where you are. You change the words. Use your own words. But say something like this. Lord, I believe I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus came to be my Savior. I believe that when he died, he died for my sin. I believe that I can have a right standing with you through what he did on my behalf. I'm putting all of my faith in who Jesus is and what he did out of love for me. Thank you for coming to earth in the person of Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sin and thank you for welcoming me into your family. I accept your gift of eternal life and I pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed this prayer with me just now, or if you're at that some point of some kind of spiritual decision, we would love to, for you to take a minute and take that Connect card that's in the seat back near you. And on the, on the back side, there's a little box there where you could check like a, where you made a spiritual decision, or maybe today I became a follower of Jesus, just or, or a place where you can write a note uh, and leave that with us today. There's a little box by the door as you leave today, or, or bring it to me afterwards, or bring it to one of uh, the members of our prayer team who are going to be over in the prayer space for the rest of the service during the music and even after church. Uh, we'd love to talk with you uh, for a minute about that. Let's stand together and worship as we sing. Thank you.